and we're looking at the fivefold ministry gifts, and we preached our way through the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. We're going to recap just briefly, but let me just read you verses 7 through 11 here of uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We thank you for this opportunity on a Wednesday night to be here and to just soak in your presence and to hear your word and to respond to your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, quicken our minds and our hearts that we could drink in the truth tonight as you reveal it to us. And Father, let it change us from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name and the church said, amen. So here we are, chapter four, starting verse seven. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Anybody have gifts? Amen. Two people. Praise God. Gary, this sounds a little loud. I don't want to scare anybody. They already looked a little scared already. So, When he ascended on high, so he gave gifts to men. That's us. We're the church. We're gifted by the Lord. Verse 9. Now this he ascended when it does mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We're going to stop there. We're going to get to verse 12, but we're making our way through verse 11. Now, <clears throat> we looked at these fivefold ministry gifts, and we've taken the time to explore in detail each one of them to find their relevancy in the body of Christ. It's important we understand these. If these gifts are going to operate in the church, if they're going to operate in us, we need to understand the biblical parameters of them, the exposures of them. Each one of the gifts has exposures, meaning that the enemy loves to counterfeit the gifts or exploit the gifts or undermine the gifts. We looked at the first one that's mentioned, apostles. We noted that a requirement to be an apostle as one of the 12 apostles was that you had to be with Jesus during his ministry and an eyewitness to the resurrection. By that biblical New Testament standard, there are no, uh, none of the 12 apostles still alive. So we don't go around calling ourselves, I'm the apostle Rick. No, I wasn't with Jesus in his ministry. I didn't see him raised from the dead. Amen. But we can operate in an apostolic spirit. There are many, like generals in the body of Christ, that operate in an apostolic spirit. What did the apostles do? They raised up churches. They protected sound doctrine. They pastored pastors. They commissioned leaders. So there are all these things that apostles do that still operate in the body of Christ. But there are no apostles like Jesus' 12 apostles. Someone say amen, and I'll move on. Then we covered prophets, and we noted that there seems to be some difference in the prophetic operations of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We don't have uh, the, the modern-day equivalent of the prophet Isaiah or Jeremiah of Ezekiel running around. That, that was a different uh, prophetic operation, yet there are prophetic gifts operating in the body of Christ. There are prophets in the New Testament. There always have been, and there always will be. God always speaks to his people through prophets. Uh, we noted Agabus, who was a New Testament prophet, who warned Paul of his imprisonment. Do you remember Agabus? He took off Paul, the belt, and he tied Paul's hands with it. And he said, when you go to Jerusalem, this is what they're going to do to you. So predictive prophecy in the New Testament. There are, there are 
people operating in the apostolic gifts. There are people operating in the prophetic gifts in the body of Christ. Last time we were together, we talked about evangelists. And we noted that evangelists are uh, powerfully and creatively anointed to share the good news of the gospel with the unsaved and make converts. Someone say amen. Amen. How many love the fact that we have people that are specifically gifted to preach the gospel to the unsaved? That's an awesome thing, amen? And we took the time to look at, you know, somebody who's very evangelistic, Greg Laurie, last week. We got to see him have an altar call and people respond. I love the way Billy Graham used to give altar calls in stadiums and you'd see people coming down from all over the place. Isn't that that just awesome? A lot of people criticize that, but that's what happened in the early church. And Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved, amen? So evangelists are very important. We're praying that God raises up some powerful evangelists for the body of Christ at such a time as this, amen? Hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. God, send laborers, send evangelists. So we covered those three. We move on to the next of the five gifts. And he said he gives some as pastors and teachers. Now, this pastor and teacher gift is kind of lumped together here, but I'm going to take the time to explore each one of them separately because every pastor is a teacher, but not every teacher is a pastor. Did you hear what I said? There are those who are specifically anointed and skilled to have the intellect and the ability to communicate to just teach. I thank God for the teachers I had in Bible school. They impacted my life. They are still impacting my ministry. They had a specific ministry to teach, but they weren't pastors. Yet every pastor who's a pastor has got to be able to teach the word of God. Amen. To, To some degree, there are functions of the pastoral ministry that don't require pulpit ministry. And we'll touch on that a little bit. But pastors and teachers are what's talked about here. Now, the gifting of pastor-teacher works together. Uh, also, you know, the evangelistic gift and the prophetic gift can be seen in people. I want to say something about the gifts as we're covering them singularly, uh, you know, one at a time so we can understand them. I want you to really know that it's not one gift per person, okay? Somebody think, well, I, I, I'm a prophet, so, you know, I can't do anything else, or I'm an evangelist, so no. There are pastors who are teachers who also have prophetic anointings and uh, evangelistic anointings. It's not one gift per person. Now, your primary gift might be the one that you minister in, in your strength, and some of them might be secondary gifts. You know, I, I'm primarily a pastor teacher. I have some prophetic gifts. I have a heart for evangelism and missions. It, it's all wrapped together. So if you're thinking, well, I'm this one, so I can't be this one. No, it's not one gift per person. Amen? You say, well, can I have them all? Stop being so greedy. No. We should desire to have every gift that God wants to give us. Someone say Amen. So this one, pastor teachers, lumps together, uh, but we're going to cover them separately. Now, the call to pastor God's people is a very serious call. I say that in all humility because, you know, uh, it, is a, it, it is a very serious thing to have to give an account for what you do in the ministry because other people are depending on you for truth, to be covered, to be, you know, fed the right stuff. Someone say Amen. If you're responsible for somebody else, you know, mothers and fathers know this. You know, life is easy peasy until them little munchkins come along and then all of a sudden everything gets serious, right? Another human being's well-being relies on me. And I'm a big kid and they're in trouble. So it's much the same with 
all of these gifts, they're a big deal and they're high callings. And to be a pastor is a very serious calling. It requires spiritual, moral, emotional, relational, and financial discipline and maturity. Amen? Discipline. Does everybody like that word? Maturity. No, no, no. Discipline and maturity is something that our culture tries to shuck off as long as possible. Isn't that true? But to operate in some of these gifts here, specifically, you know, the pastoral gift here as we're covering tonight, there needs to be discipline and maturity in these areas, spiritually, morally. You know, we see what happens when leaders have moral failure. Can we all agree that that sends ripples through the body of Christ that are just devastating? You know, if you're, if you're paying attention to the news and you're looking what's going on in churches, just recently we've had some very high-level megachurch leaders have to resign because of moral failure. Now, if you haven't heard about it, God bless you, because, you know, it's something that, you know, it hurts the heart of God's people when we see leaders fall. Um, you're real quiet tonight. It's, it's something that, you know kind of stuns us in the body of Christ that someone we would look up to or receive from or hear the word from would fall. And I want to say something. You know, when you're in leadership in such positions and sometimes when you're in positions that you shouldn't be in, there's a big target on your back by the enemy. You know, maybe you and I deal with two or three devils harassing us all day, but the enemy targets some of these leaders and puts hordes of demons to just try and, you know, and, and we should never be so judgmental when, oh, I knew it, you know, they, I could just tell they were no good. I didn't, I didn't like the way they dressed. Their hair was too perfect. And so let's not be critical when leaders fall, but let's pay attention to the fact that there has to be maturity and discipline in leadership. Otherwise, the risk is too great that they will embarrass the body of Christ. And, you know, a lot of people on the outside looking in say, if that's the church, I don't want anything to do with it. So pastoral leaders must be disciplined uh, because if they fall, it doesn't just affect them or their families. It shatters the body of Christ, and it's detrimental to the witness of the church. Think about how many people use it as an excuse. Well, those guys and these guys and that church, and they're hypocrites, and did you see what? And they use that as an excuse. And my heart is that we wouldn't give people an excuse. Now, I understand that they're just trying to get out of the fact of repenting of their own sin. I get that. But um, our conduct should not give them an excuse to stay away from the church. Someone say amen. So the, the calling to pastor is a high calling. It's not one that should be taken lightly. It requires discipline in all of these areas. You know, your finances, your relational areas, your, you know, all of these things we talked about with evangelism, how, you know, they get tempted to, you know, get too flashy or too flamboyant, and, every, and, and I got a private jet, and I fly here, and I got this mansion, and it just looks bad for the body of Christ, doesn't it? And, you know, I'm not saying pastors or five-fold ministry people have to be poor and destitute and live in shacks, but we should do things in moderation, Amen. Because the world is looking and the church is looking and God is looking. Now, the title pastor is synonymous with some other uh, titles in the word. Let me give you some of them that refer to this fivefold ministry gift. There's the word shepherd. There's elder, presbyter, bishop, 
and overseer, and of course, pastor. And all of these words are in Scripture. Some of them occur only once. Some of them occur a lot. But all of these words, all of these titles mean the same thing. Now, if you, you look at them in the way they're used, in the context, they're used interchangeably. You know, some people would use the word bishop to make someone above pastors, the pastor of pastors. But the, the word doesn't really teach that. There was a loose bishopric in the church, in the early church, uh, when, you know, when the apostles were still around. Uh, there was some ch- church structure in there, a few different kinds uh, that occurred in the New Testament. But understand all of these words, elder, you know, a, a, a pastor is really the chief elder. So you have elders, and then you have one that is the leader or, or the lead pastor, and he's the chief elder. And you look at these words, presbyter, bishop, overseer, just realize they all are interchangeable and mean the same thing. Does that help anyone tonight? So when you're reading the word and you see these words, don't think these are all different offices. No, they're, they're all words used to describe the same thing. Uh, pastor is the word that we use. Uh, the word pastor is from the Latin noun meaning shepherd, and it is derived from the verb pascare. So it means to lead to pasture, to, to lead to graze or to cause to eat. You see, shepherds are those who take sheep and care for them and feed them and lead them to places where they can be nourished, amen? You say, Pastor, what are you doing up there tonight? I'm feeding you, amen? Italians like to feed people. I'm not happy unless I'm feeding somebody. So this is a good, this is a good call for me, amen? I like to feed people. I like to nourish people. I like to work with people. I like to see people grow and, and, and uh, be nourished in all of these things. That, you know, it's, it's my heart, and it's what God put in me. But understand, pastors are shepherds. Now, the chief shepherd is Jesus, which makes us all under shepherds. There's only one chief shepherd, the head of the church, Jesus Christ. All of us are many notches below the chief shepherd, amen? So whatever role, whatever size congregation you're, you know, given to lead, whatever group of people that you're to shepherd, uh, understand pastors are just under shepherds. Um, man has a, as a way of trying to, you know, elevate his office, elevate his title, make, a lot of people like to make themselves appear more than they are. Someone say amen. And the people who do that are not saying anything right now. Right? You know, you puff yourself up, you make yourself bigger than you should be, and you know, realize all pastors are under shepherds, and there's some that have larger audiences than others, but that's up to the Lord, and that's up to their anointing, and it's the way God wired them, but realize Jesus is the head. There's only one head in the body of Christ. Someone say amen. So the pastor relates to the congregation as the role of chief elder. In the New Testament, it was essential that Every church had elders in it. In fact, the, the apostles went around and they, they would put elders, not just one, but, you know, not just one guy and you're in charge of everything. No, there was always a pastoral team. And the, the apostles would place elders in the local churches so that the church had a leadership structure. Someone say amen. Um, it's important to understand that pastors are most often anointed preachers. If you're going to feed people, you've got to have that gift to preach the word. Someone say amen. If you've ever sat under maybe a leader that didn't have the gift to preach, you know it's hard to sit through that, isn't it? Amen. You guys don't want to say nothing tonight. 
Anyone, been, anyone ever been in a meeting where you just like, I got to get out of here? You know? You know, that gift, if you have that gift, it's powerful. But if you don't have that gift, it's painful. And most pastors are anointed preachers or have a way to share the word in which, you know, the people can receive it and be fed. 2 Timothy uh, 4.2 Preach the word, Paul says to Timothy, his protege. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Pastors are not just to stroke you and make you happy and to marry you and bury you and tell you it's going to be okay. Sometimes we got to say some stuff that's hard. Oh, Pastor, I, I trust you. I'm submitted to you. Yeah, until I have to say something hard to you, then I'm, I'm leaving. Well, I pray the next pastor says the same thing. Amen? Boy, it's a tough crowd tonight. You guys have a long day? You tired? Amen. We should pass out milk and have a little nap now. I miss kindergarten. That was the best. But pastors have to say hard things sometimes. And look, rebuke, amen, correct. Oh, I like the encourage part, and it's so much easier. A lot of pastors have tender hearts. Shepherds love sheep, you know, but pastors have to be willing to correct and have to be willing to rebuke, and sheep sometimes need to hear it. I know in my life at times I needed someone to correct me. I needed someone to rebuke me. You're saying, yeah, pastor, we've known a long time, yeah? It's true. No, you too, amen. You, we all need that. Same thing with the prophetic ministry. Prophets that only say good stuff and everything's good and happy, clappy. Man, I'm suspect of that. I've seen people receive ministry from a prophetic ministry, and they're telling them all this good stuff and that stuff, and I know what's going on in their life, and I'm thinking, that's not what they need to hear right now. But be careful of those who don't have the courage to do all of what they're supposed to do. They have to be anointed preachers, and they have to be willing, uh, you know, to say what needs to be said. Most pastors have a preaching gift that people can receive from. Lead pastors have to have a pretty dynamic preaching ministry to cut through all the barriers and distractions of our overstimulated ADHD culture. Amen? We should be praying that God raises up anointed preachers to speak to this generation. We need a new crop of young preachers that have fire of God in their bones, that don't care about being woke, that don't care about political correctness. Don't stop clapping now, but that'll just preach the word, amen. I, I encourage you, be praying for, the, for this last day, uh, prophetic preachers to be raised up with boldness. Oh, we got so many mealy mouth, mushy, waffling, hinging, compromising. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, go sell shoes if you don't have a guts or a backbone. But if you stand by and here, you got to be willing to preach with the anointing, be dynamic, be real with people. And, you know, that being said, there are those that function in some type of pastoral ministry that don't necessarily have preaching gifts. So if you're, you're not the type of person to have a gift and stand up in front of people, that doesn't mean that God can't use you in pastoral ministry. There are care pastors, there are counseling pastors, there are administrative pastors, there are pastors that run church staffs, they have administrative gifts. 
So, you know, not everybody who's in pastoral ministry has pulpit duties, but if you do, you better have an anointing for it or the body of Christ will suffer. Number two, pastors, excuse me, must be watchmen and protectors of the flock. It says in Acts 20, 28, keep watch over yourselves. Oh, that's the first person to watch out for. Hey, Rick, keep an eye on yourself. Watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. See, there's one word for pastors there. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. So check that out there. Pastors have to be watchmen and protectors, amen? What does a pastor do? He watches for people's souls. He watches for the sheep. It's not just about sermons. It's not just about programs. It's not just about, you know, uh, keeping people's attention on Sunday morning or on Wednesday. It's about being a watchman. Pray for pastors all throughout the world. Why? That they wouldn't fall asleep, that they wouldn't be out in left field, that their eyes would be open spiritually, and they would be watching and protecting the sheep from the wolves. These, these ministries that we're seeing walk away from the word of God and talk about, you know, uh, you know, gender confusion and sexual immorality and alternative lifestyles, and they're telling people from the pulpit, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. That's not a watchman. That's not a watchman. That's a wolf. And that's someone who's leading souls into snares. Pastors have to have the guts to stand with the word of God no matter how unpopular it is. And you know what? We're seeing it more than ever that some just don't have that. It makes me, it makes me question whether or not they're really called to ministry. Remember, not everyone that's in ministry was called to ministry. We talked about this. Some people are self-anointed, self-appointed. You don't get into ministry because you chose it as a vocation. You don't become a pastor because your father was a pastor. Look, you, you don't, uh, well, you know, we're just passing the baton. Down. That's not the way it works. You have to have a call of God, and you have to be willing to be a watchman and to protect the sheep. Why? Because the, the sheep need shepherds who will protect them. Notice a shepherd must first watch out for his own spiritual condition. Look what it says. Watch over yourselves. You know what? If I'm a spiritual train wreck, how can I help you? If my life is a complete mess and I'm, you know, I have all kinds of issues, how am I going to help anybody else? You know, sometimes as a leader, you just have to be a couple steps ahead of everyone else. None of us, you know, are perfect and got it all going on. But you, you've got to, you've got to, as a, as a shepherd, as an overseer, if you, if you aspire to be in ministry, if you feel the call of God, realize you need to be disciplining your life. Amen. Uh, there could be here, here under the sound of my voice some that God is calling into pastoral ministry. And I want to tell you, discipline yourself now. Certain lines you should never cross. Why? Because once you let the tigers out of the cage, they're hard to get back in. As a young man, the Lord harnessed me and disciplined me. I didn't do a lot of things that were happening in my generation. God protected me, and, and my parents locked me in my room, and all kinds of good stuff. I'm not, I'm not lying, right? Locked me in the room with the guitar, so that's that, you know. But I'm glad I missed out on a lot of that debauchery. 
And what was that? That's God just protecting and preserving us. Why? Because he wants to use us for, you know, these high callings. And we've all got these gifts that we want to use. So understand, pastors must protect the flock. They must first, you know, watch out for themselves and discipline their own souls. The spiritual train wreck, the person with all kinds of sins and addictions and immorality and and, you know, lack of self-control does not belong behind the pulpit. you got to be in order. You know that old story about when you're on the plane and it loses cabin pressure, you need to put your mask on first, right? Because if you don't put yours on and you pass out, how are you going to help out anybody else around you, amen? Moms, you put the mask on. Then your kids are blue, you shake them and you put their mask on. Same thing with leadership. We've got to have, you know, if we're in any kind of leadership, we've got to have our masks on. We've got to have our lives in order. So number three, pastors must be able to exercise spiritual authority. You know, it's not just being good with words. It's not just having smooth speech. It's not just, you know, when I grew up, it was all the flashy suits and pocket scarves and expensive shoes. <laughs> That's not what makes a man a God. That's not the anointing. That's window dressing. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Look at that. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So pastors have to use spiritual authority. We have to correct. We have to rebuke. We have to chase wolves out. We have to sometimes deal with very difficult situations. But the sheep need to have confidence in their leaders. Now, a shepherd that doesn't have boldness or the desire to exercise spiritual authority uh, is not fit to lead in the church of Jesus Christ. Well, I know I should do this, but I don't want to offend anybody. Can't, you you, you got to be willing to, I'm willing to offend you. You know, and it's, well, they're going to be mad at me or they're going to leave. I've, look, I've been around pastors for 30 plus years and I've heard them say all kinds of things. Oh, this is going to be a mess. Half the people are going to leave. You know what? Uh, you got to be willing to hold up the standard. And there again, you know, well, you say, well, I thank God that I'm not a pastor, so I don't have to hold up the standard. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We'll let him do it. Everybody will be mad at him. They'll leave us alone. The whole church, all of us, but especially leaders, and leaders who will be bold. And listen, we, we say the truth, but we do it in love. We don't have to be mean-spirited. I know some pastors and some leaders and some people in the national, they're just mean. Uh, you guys don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to say any names either, but Tom, there are some of these guys that I listen, they're judgmental, they find fault with everything, they judge other ministries, they call out people by name, and I'm looking at them and I'm like, are you kidding? Now, if they're wrong, you correct them. If they're preaching heresy, you correct it. But I'm talking about just ministries of meanness. There are some of them out there. And their big thing is to find fault with everybody else and try to make themselves look like they're the only ones that know what's going on. That's not pastoral ministry. That's, that's turfism. That's territorialism. That's tribalism. We're the only denomination that's preaching the truth. Okay. 
Well, you know, you have to be able to exercise spiritual authority. You have to be willing to say hard things at times. Uh, Christian leaders have to do that. Christians have to do that. We should always do it in love. Notice what it says here in Hebrews 13. There what? There are those that must give an account. So God's going to hold leaders to account. He's going to hold pastors to account. He's going to hold all of us to account with what we did with our gifts. Come on, you know the parable of the talents. You got gifts. I got gifts. God's going to hold us accountable. But leadership, he holds even to a greater account. So it's with fear and trembling that we shepherd the body of Christ, knowing that we have to answer to the Lord for everything we do and say or everything we don't do and say. The last part of Hebrews 13 here talks about, you know, it says here, they keep watch over those and they must give an account. Listen to this. Do this so that their work will be a joy. So it says submit to your leaders and, and recognize their authority. Why? So their work will be a joy and not a burden. And, and you know, it's no benefit, uh, Hebrews is saying here, to give your leaders a hard time because if you make them ornery and aggravated and grouchy, that's no benefit to you. Do you want an angry, grouchy preacher behind the pulpit every Sunday? Then be nice to me. That's what Hebrews is saying, amen. We, we should have mutual respect for one another. So it's saying that pastors will be held to a higher account. They're going to have to, you know, stand before the Lord and answer for their leadership. And it's also talking to believers who buck and murmur and rebel and undermine those who are called and appointed by God. They do that at their own peril. You know, there's always people who have to buck any kind of authority. Do you know people like that? Anybody raise your hand? Anybody? Nobody's scared, scared to raise their hand. Is it you? You know, there are certain people that just can't fall in line with anything. I'll move on. So let them do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden. Unsubmissive saints make everything unnecessarily difficult in the body of Christ. If you see someone that's critical, that's always complaining, that's always got something to say about leadership, you know, they don't say it to the leaders. So if you catch them saying it, you correct them. I just deputized all of you. Okay, I'm going to move on here because we're having so much fun tonight. Number four, pastors must be spiritually mature and meet certain standards. First uh, Peter 5, Titus 1. Verse 5, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. We're going to cover these three scriptures as I close out this message. So pastors should be spiritually mature. Now listen to this. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Here this is being spoken right to pastoral leaders. Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So First Peter is giving some standards uh, to pastoral leadership candidates, if you want to be a pastoral leader, number th uh, the first thing, verse 2 says, is shepherds must watch for the flock. Because you've been called to do it, you need to do it with a willing heart. Amen? 
God doesn't force anybody to do anything at gunpoint. Well, I got called to do this, so I had to do it. You're never going to produce fruit in anything with any of your gifts with that attitude. God, you know, if we don't have a willing heart to use our gifts for, for the body, you know, we shouldn't use them grudgingly because that is not going to produce fruit. So shepherds have to do things with a willing heart to watch over them, not because you must, because you're willing to. Honesty in the financial realm and purity in the financial realm and even in the motives of being in ministry are very key. It says here, and not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So it's servant leadership is how we use our gifts, amen? We talked about this with evangelism and some of the other gifts. The ministry is not a vocation that you choose because, you know, you can make a lot of money in it. You guys, you guys, you guys, you guys, you guys. You know, I've talked to young people who said, well, I feel a call to ministry, but there's not enough money in it. Wow. You know, using your gifts is not about filling your wallet. God provides our needs. And I want to tell you something. People who have this eye, you know, well, I want to make money. I want to be important. I want everything. That, that's the wrong motive. And, you know, the word is being really clear here. The, the ministry is not a financial opportunity. The truth is that most people in pastoral ministry make less than half of what they would make in the private sector. That's just the truth. And you say, well, then why would anybody ever do it? Because God called us to do it. Amen? Amen. Don't worry. Whatever your gift is, whatever you're called to do, don't worry about finances. God finances the, the, those who are obedient. Listen, oh, I can't go to the mission field. I can't go in the ministry. I can't do this. I don't have the money. I have too many bills. Take a step towards your call. Activate your gifts and watch God provide all your needs. I have never had lack there's times where if you looked at my paycheck, it, we should have been not living. I mean, we should have had no food. We should have been skinnier. But God has always provided. Amen. God be praised. Amen. He's always provided. So pastors must uh, care for the people under their covering with love and respect. Look what it says. Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You know, leadership has to be servant leadership, amen? Be very careful about people who are leaders who demand that you serve them. Verse four, pastors should never forget they're under shepherds. And when the chief shepherd appears, uh-oh, that means we got to answer to somebody. Yeah, we're going to answer to Jesus. All of us are going to answer for how we use our gifts. This verse is reminding pastors, don't lord over people. Don't act like you're so important. Don't, you know, demand that other people serve you. You serve, and, and you're going to be held to account, and you're going to stand before Jesus and answer to him about all these things. Anybody want to be a pastor? No takers. Titus 1, 5 through 9. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished, <coughs> excuse me, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder, now here's some requirements for an elder. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man 
whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. Since an overseer, notice how these terms are being interchanged here. Like we mentioned, we just heard about elders. Now he shifts to the word overseer. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, nor pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Very important scripture for anyone who wants to go into the ministry, the pastoral ministry. Why? Because these requirements here are showing the type of life that you have to have so that you can be effective as a leader in the body of Christ. Now, pastoral leaders were appointed. Look, they were installed by other leaders who were proven. The apostles selected uh, leaders and appointed elders in every church. So understand, to be a pastor, you don't just choose it as a vocation and go into the pastor business. You have to sit under leadership. You have to be mentored and trained and vetted. And when those above you in the Lord feel that you have met that level where you can be entrusted to shepherd the body of Christ, you're installed into ministry. Be very careful of people who don't go to Bible school, who don't sit under training, who don't get vetted, and they just open up a church. I'm telling you this stuff because I've been around the block for 30 plus years and I've seen a whole bunch of nonsense. And those people always hurt people and they scatter the body of Christ. So realize, you know, there are stipulations, there are requirements to be in pastoral ministry here. Look at all of what was said there, you know, that they, you know, have to manage their own house well. They have to be the husband of one wife. You know, there, there needs to be a strong marital situation. There needs to be a godly home. They shouldn't be overbearing or quick-tempered, given to drunkenness. Look at that, not violent or pursuing dishonest gain. I encourage you to spend some time in, in Titus, uh, you know, 1, and, and, and look around, you know, look around what's going in there and what's required because you say, well, that's just for pastors, but really it's for all of us. We should all live this way, man, that any minute that God could put us in a, a leadership position. So verse 9 implies that leaders should be taught and vetted and proven. And that's, you know, so what? They can hold firmly to the trustworthy message, amen? You can't hold to something unless you've been taught it. Leaders need to understand theology. They need to understand eschatology. They need to have a working knowledge of the scripture. They can't be scripturally illiterate. They shouldn't be novices. They shouldn't, you know, uh, just have charisma, but, but no integrity. Let me move on. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So it's a good thing to feel the call of God and to want to answer that. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. There again, reiterating some of the things we heard in Titus 
There's a theme here. Verse 4, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Listen to verse 6. This is important. We still do this in the body of Christ. Someone famous gets saved, and right away, they make him a pastor. We've seen this before. I'm not going to mention any names. I'm not going to mention the churches. But someone famous, a musician, an actor, somebody with a big name, all of a sudden they're pastor so-and-so. They've been saved for two days. And the word says absolutely not to do that. Even Paul, when he was knocked down and blinded, he, he spent two years being deprogrammed and reprogrammed before he was released into ministry. The apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who, who had an encounter with Jesus, who is the, you know, the greatest apostle that had ever lived, God sat him on the bench for two years. Not a recent convert, not you know, someone who's unschooled, unvetted, untrained, untested. Verse 7, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So 1 Timothy, there again, another scripture that talks about, you know, the overseer, the head elder, the pastor, uh, the bishop, whatever you want to call him, whatever interchangeable word is used. You know, these are the requirements. The text gives us a lot of rapid fire requirements. We've heard some of them before in Titus. But understand, these are the basics. Now, you would say, well, you know, what if you got some of those in your life that's out of order? You should get them into order before you go into full-time ministry. Paul took two years. I don't know. You know, some of us need to be trained. Some of us need to sit down. Some of us need to submit ourselves. Some of us need, you know, to do whatever it is. You know, God wants to use your gifts and release you into ministry. I, I guarantee there's people within the sound of my voice tonight that God wants to use you in ministry. So pay attention to these things because whatever the Holy Spirit puts his finger on, you need to start getting it in order now so you're ready when he calls. So, again, the pastoral leader has to have his house in order. Now, nobody has a perfect marriage, and nobody has perfect children. My wife and children aren't here now, so we can talk about this. But nobody has a perfect marriage. You know, if you, if you take some of these requirements to the extreme, you would say, Man, nobody's fit for ministry. We're going to sit around until Jesus shows up because he's the only one that can. He's not married and doesn't have kids. He's got it easy. The Bible's not asking for perfection. It's asking for leadership. You know, we can't, uh, we, we should have our houses in order as best we can. We can't, how many, how many have children? Amen. It's really easy to force them to do whatever you say, isn't it? All the hands went down. So, you know, everybody has a free will, but what, what the scripture is saying in here is there should be order. If your marriage is a mess, if your household is a mess, you should hold off on going into full-time ministry. I've seen a lot of stuff over the years, some stuff I won't even describe. But you know what? If people would have adhered to these requirements listed in the word, they would have saved themselves and their marriages and the body of Christ a lot of pain. Sometimes you got to sit on the bench for a while and see if things will fall into order. So 
I encourage you, nobody's perfect out there. If you feel a call to ministry, if you feel a call to, to activate your gifts and get into full-time service, you don't have to be perfect, but you need to be attentive to your life and do your very best to bring it into order. Amen? Verse 6 and 7 are so important uh, because, you know, the body of Christ still violates them with the recent convert thing. You know, understand... Uh, there has to be a, a spiritual maturity before we can lead. And I think you guys get this. And when you see it happen in the body of Christ, remember this scripture and remember that if we would follow God's word, we, would, we wouldn't embarrass the church so much. Pastors should have a good reputation in the church and in the community. So there's a lot of requirements there, and it might seem overwhelming to a degree. But understand, if you're called, the Holy Spirit will bring these things into order. Next time we're together, we're going to talk about the teaching gift. Remember, uh, it's not one gift per person. So as we're going through these, the teaching gift is the last one. We're going to talk about teachers, their purpose in the body of Christ. Also, the Bible talks a lot about false teachers. We might talk about some heresies and some schisms that happened in the early church. Won't that be fun? So let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for these people who would come out on a Wednesday to hear some deep teaching, Lord, not, not fluff, not just, you know, happy, clappy, hot tub Christianity, but the nuts and bolts of what it takes to use our gifts in the body of Christ. Father, thank you for the fivefold ministry gifts. Thank you for the people under the sound of my voice right now that you've placed gifts in, that you want to activate, and some of them you want to put into full-time service. Father, I pray that they would begin to discipline and order their lives now so that the enemy would have no leverage over them when you call, that they would not be able to respond to the call of God and to do what you have made them to do. Father, for everyone that struggles uh, with sin, with compromise, with fear, with doubt, with unbelief, Lord God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in each of our hearts to bring us to the place of perfection and usefulness so that we can be and do exactly what you've called us to do. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him praise tonight.